Hello, and welcome to Bubby Brister's Brunch Buddies, your go-to show for football history, analysis, and general sports information on the Cowboys, Washington football team, and Seattle Mariners on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Harry Gollin, here with Andrew Pearson. As per usual. And today, Andrew and I are going to be covering the matchup between the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Additionally, we're going to cover the Mariners, who have gotten themselves right back in the thick of it in the wildcard hunt. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, let's dive into the matchup. So we're looking at the Lions and the Bears. And the Bears hold the all-time advantage, perhaps unsurprisingly, 102-75. to But perhaps because both teams have been around for so long, the teams have actually tied five separate times, which by football standards is quite a bit. So that's an interesting little factoid. But the other interesting little bit is, according to my research of pouring over box scores, the teams have never played each other in the playoffs. Not a wildcard game, not a divisional round, not a conference championship. That actually does sound about right, yeah. Which is simultaneously unsurprising, but also a testament to just how bad the Lions have been. I mean, for really, and, and not only that, but the playoff utility of the Bears, especially in recent re- recent That's years. That's true. Because remember, they they went long stretches in their history without going to the playoffs. That's true. That's true. So really, it's interesting though because not even once, and these teams have been around forever, is actually kind of surprising. It was a, I mean, it's unsurprising that they did, but on the other hand, when you actually think about it, both teams have been playing each other since the '30s. Shouldn't they have met at least once? They've had about 100 years to do it, but, you know, that's the Lions and the Bears for you. So, first game we're going to look at here is November 11th, 1980. Now, Andrew, I'm not looking at this game because it was a particularly exceptionally close game throughout. Heading into the fourth quarter, the Lions had a 17-3 to lead, a commanding lead, Andrew. Yeah, I believe that's I- a two-score lead if I, if I have my math right. Yeah, I mean that's that's a commanding lead. That's a lead that you could that any good team could put another team away with, right? Mm-hmm. It's two touchdowns. Well, Chicago QB Vince Evans connects twenty yards downfield with Bob Fisher, and then sneaks into the end zone later to tie the game. So the two teams are heading to overtime in Detroit in oh, a God. tremendous defensive collapse for the Lions. So what happens? Presumably, the, the Chicago wins the kickoff. Uh, wins the coin toss, elects to receive, and, you know, is Evans going to march down the field? Well, before the Lions even get the chance to screw up on defense again, uh, Bears running back Dave Williams returns the opening kickoff of overtime for a touchdown (laughs) to walk off the Lions in Detroit, Uh, which is just so sad, you know? (laughs) I mean, just like the city of Detroit, just really, really sad. Man, I mean, it is, it is rough, though, you know. But little note on Dave Williams, the guy who returned that, uh, that returned that kickoff. He was initially drafted by the Cowboys in 1976, but he chose not to play with him, in, instead playing in the CFL with Calgary for a little while, while before uh, being picked up by the Bears. So this is uh, that's nothing you would see today, you know. Yeah, I mean, just to, on the flip side, because I know this happened with the Bears. The Bears drafted Doug Flutie, a quarter who was one of the best quarterbacks of all time in the CFL. After a couple, right. after spending a couple of years with the Bears as a backup quarterback, played a little bit as a starter, went off to went off to Canada, became pro- arguably the greatest Canadian football player of all time, 
came back to the states. Who and else played, would it be? And and played another five years or so. You know, yeah. split in time with the Bills and the Chargers. Uh, right before, um, right before the Drew Brees and um Drew Brees era started. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation there. Um, but well, he's not the only notable name. So Vince Evans, that Bears QB who managed the comeback, he actually has done some interesting things. First of all, he is to this day the only Bears quarterback to have a perfect QB rating in a game. With the hun- and they like say the, 100- the Bears don't have good quarterbacks. With like the hundred some <laughs> years of history with Bears quarterbacks at this point. Was it Rex Grossman? <laughs> was it Mitch Trubisky? No, it was Vince Evans. It should have been Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler would never have gotten a perfect QB rating, though. He was too much of a gunslinger, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. But no, that's kind of cool that the guy got the perfect passer rating. That's that's neat. Yeah, so then you got... Uh, he also... little. I just have a bunch of factoids on this guy because I randomly stumbled onto a little article about him and I recognized a lot of the information. He actually mm-hmm. went to the same high school as a uh, classic member of the Hogs, uh, Jeff Bostic, who was a great center for those Washington teams. So, cool little factoid there. But also, he was the first black quarterback to start in Bears history. That's a little bit of an interesting one. And he also put up 61 against the Packers, which, I mean, that's by, if you're measuring Bears quarterbacks. That, that, that immediately puts you up there. So Right. And honestly, I, I think about Evans, and he, did, he only started for like a couple of years, but... I don't know. Where does he rank all time? Like, who's the best Bears QB of all time? Jim McMahon. <laughs> Sid Luckman? I don't know. Jim McMahon. Uh, Jim McMahon. Sid Luckman played for the Bears, right? He was with the Bears. Yeah. And he was a quarterback. He was the great, the first great T-formation quarterback and is considered the greatest long-range passer of all time, according to Ira Burkow. Yeah. Sure, sure, buddy. He, to be clear, let's see here. What year did he retire? He, uh, well, he stopped playing in 43 because he was drafted, but his career ended in 1950. But uh, he still owns many of the Bears passing records to this day. That is very concerning. That is extremely (laughs) concerning. The quarterback that played in the T formation? To be clear here, right? This is a guy whose career high in completion percentage was 57.1%. He never passed for more than 2,194 yards. He never broke 30 touchdowns. And he is one of he is probably the best. No, he is the best quarterback in Bears history. That is disgusting. That is appalling. I am angry that that is the case. Now, mind you, he was a great quarterback. Like, yes, but, he was good for his time and all that, but... No really? Sammy Ball, though. No Sammy Ball, though. <laughs> are, are you serious? Like, some a quarterback from the 40s was better in his No, time. from the 30s. Think from about the it. 30s? 30s and 40s, I, I guess. Fair enough. Oh, my God. I mean, that just shows just how inept Chicago has been at trying to get a quarterback. Their, their attempts at getting a signal caller has just been that bad. And we'll we'll go over the one who's probably going to appear this Sunday. We'll go over him too. 
It's you uh, mean Justin? I'm going to save this <laughs> this franchise from itself, Fields, but maybe not. Who knows? You know, we'll see. they might ruin another one. Um, but let's see here. And one other little bit of the interesting thing about Vince Evans is that he was pushed out because when Ditka, Mike Ditka, was brought in to coach, he wanted to shuffle the quarterback rotation to sort of split it between Evans and McMahon, right? Jim McMahon, of course, the quarterback who won in 85 with them. Uh, but Evans didn't want to do that. He wanted to be the starter, so he actually left and played in the CFL himself. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where our Bubby connection comes in because – the most arguably Bobby Brewster's most famous quote was when being asked to clean up for Neil O'Donnell after a really bad game, he said, I don't mop up for anybody and didn't come in, which made national news because it was actually kind of unprecedented for a quarterback, especially a quarterback who did not have the massive profile of, you know, a, a Johnny Unitas or something mm-hmm. like that to say, no, I'm not going to do this and actually win, you know? So he, he pulled a Bubby. But unlike Bubby, it didn't work out for him because while Bubby would then replace O'Donnell to start the next two games in the season and win those, mm-hmm. um, our boy Evans, Vince, he uh, he played in the CFL for a few years and then he went to the Raiders uh, because Plunkett was dealing, Jim Plunkett was dealing with some injuries and kind of petered out after that. Mm-hmm. So he actually would later say that his ego kind of got in the way of his NFL career, which on one hand, he's probably right. On the other hand, I feel sympathetic to him because he really only got two years as a starter. And then Ditka comes in and says, you want to split time, <laughs> which is a hard pill to swallow for anybody, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, it's like initially it reminds me, there was a two quarterback system in place with Roger Staubach and one other quarterback in the, in the Cowboys organization. Mm. Um, when when he first got to Dallas, right? Uh, there they initially, uh, Tom Landry, resident genius of the Lone Star State, was like, you know what? Yeah, well, I'll play both of you. Let's see which one wins. And eventually, <laughs> he actually didn't like Staubach at first because he he extended plays too much. He ran too much. Right, but right. Eventually, Staubach. He doesn't play the game the right way, Andrew. Just doesn't. <laughs> That's right. He gets too fancy. You know, he's too mobile. Quarterbacks are pocket passers. Those are the guys who win, Andrew. <sighs> and this whole, like, Hail Mary improvisation, you're not going to win football games like that, okay? It's just so... The future of football is ground-and-pound offense and statuesque pocket passer quarterbacks. Only. Only. That's right. That's just a fact. Who, who's this Randall Cunningham guy? I don't. I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't trust him. He's too fast. <laughs> All right. Well, um, where 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 were you? Uh, were you gonna move on to your next? I was gonna uh, move on to my next game. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Next... So we're gonna go back to the far off land of 2002 NFL football. Oh my gosh. Where Chicago and Detroit were mired in miserable seasons. The Bears two and eight. The Lions three and seven. Just. Sounds about right. Jeff's kiss of futility. So Marcus Robinson uh, is found by Chris Chandler in the first quarter to put the Bears up seven before the Lions kicker James Hansen splits the uprights to make it seven to three. But 
entering into the second quarter, the Lions realized that maybe you need to actually score to win football games. And this would have been Joey Harrington's rookie year, right? Franchise legend Joey Harrington storms down the field to get him a touchdown. See, I know things, Harry. I know things. And they pounded another. They pounded another touchdown to give themselves a seventeen to seven lead. Now, for the entire third quarter and approximately the first twelve and a half minutes of the fourth quarter, the Bears do not respond. Oh no! But then, with two and a half minutes left, the Bears are able to uh, score a touchdown. Right, mm-hmm. and then. Due to a truly spectacular defensive collapse, the Bears find themselves set up for a 40-yard field goal with uh, with a few seconds left on the clock, and they make it to send the game to overtime. Mind you, this was a this was a game in which the Bears were down by more than one possession with less than two and a half minutes to oh play. Oh my gosh! Oh no! And a complete breakdown cost the Lions the game, and of course. The Bears just take the Lions out back and kick a field goal in overtime to win the game. But I didn't mean to collect two games that were uniquely brutal overtime losses for the Lions, but I think it gives you a sense of just how bad it is to be a Lions fan in general. I mean, what a what a genuinely miserable franchise. They they have three basically three actual notable players in their entire history, that being Megatron, uh Barry Sanders, and uh, Matt Stafford, Bobby Lane, Bobby Lane as well. Bobby Lane as well. So yeah. we got four. We got four. We got four. Harry. And they're <laughs> what? 80, 70 year history. Jamie Collins, Jamie Collins, who just got cut. Jamie Collins got but cut, was, but he was there. <laughs> Jamal Agnew, you know, he returned a touchdown for uh, the for the Jags, but he was on the Lions at one point. Ooh, Jamal so, Agnew. Ooh. I'm trying to think genuinely. Famous Lions players. Wait, are they the guys who... Dra- no, the Packers drafted Tony Mandrich. Yes, correct. Which is uh, just really funny. Let's see here. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, Bobby Lane. Matt Stafford. Oh, Matt Stafford. Oh, my God. And that's it. Golden Tate was on there. Remember that? Oh, Glover. I remember Glover Quinn. Glover Glover Quinn? Yeah. Remember him? Wasn't he on, uh, wasn't he on the Cowboys? It's a safety. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm thinking of Leroy Glover. That's what I'm thinking of. But, um, yeah, they have yeah. a couple of notable players. Like, oh, I remember that guy, you know, once upon a time, he was a decent contributor. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, man. Like, oh, Darius Slay and Demica. Oh, oh, Darius Slay. And Dominic and Sue was more relevant yeah. on other teams. Galladay. Galladay. Like, you got you got some good players here and there. Dan but... Orlovsky, obviously. <laughs> Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> I really, I don't have much, honestly. That's kind of it. Uh, Matt Prater was on. The oh, that's right. Still Matt on? No, he's on the no. Cardinals now. It's like, uh, just, just bad. Just. Here, I finally found it. This video I found a little while ago, right? Mm-hmm. It's the top 50 greatest Lions players of all time from Bleacher Report. And the worst part is that, okay, they're... Andrew, I'm going to name the top 10. Tell me how many of these guys you recognize, okay? Uh-huh. 
I'll keep count. Barry Sanders. Obviously. Okay. Joe Schmidt. Huh? You want to repeat that? He's actually, he actually won the, he was a linebacker who won the MVP in 1960. Okay. And he, and he was also a head coach and he called plays out on the field. So actually a pretty cool obscure player, but you've never heard of him. Okay. That's one I actually have never heard of. So that's interesting. Okay. So you, Bobby so, Lane. Everyone knows Night Train Lane. Okay. Yes. Okay. Calvin Johnson. Obviously. Okay. Lem Barney. Huh? Lem, Len, is that Len or Lem? Lem, L-E-M. Lem Barney. Uh, Lockdown down nah. corner. No. All right. Doak Walker. Oh, okay. I know Doak Walker because of the Doak yeah. Walker Award. Was he uh was he a kicker? Running back. Running back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jack Christensen. No. Alex Karras. No. Herman Moore. Herman Moore. Matt Stafford is this low? And by the way, let me make this clear. And you, my suspicions were correct. Number 10 is Night Train Lane. Bobby Lane was not nicknamed Night Train Lane. That was actually Dick Night Train Lane. Bobby Lane was the quarterback. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> when the First of all, two of the top 10 best players in their, uh, in their top 10 is, are both named Lane, which is just funny. But also the fact is that you can't recognize – you recognize like half of them, and one of that's off, off an award. Like, that's pretty bad. And so, and the best quarterback in their entire history isn't even in their top 10. That's... Well, it, no, Bobby Lane's still their best quarterback of all time. No, no, it's Matt Stafford. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, no. It's, it's Matt Stafford. No, Matt Stafford wouldn't last a second in Bobby Lane's era. He wasn't tough. He's not tough enough. Not tough enough? Not tough enough. He didn't He didn't play that kind of smash football. He could, what could he do in the T formation? Hi, Andrew. Wow. You know what? You're right. You're right. I am right. <laughs> If Sammy Ball played today, he'd be better. He'd be like Patrick Mahomes on steroids. Truly, truly. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Truly a Manamux boy. It's but so Harry... fun to be a football boomer. You know, you can just always say that he didn't have, he doesn't have it to play in a real era, a man's era. Not in this wussy era. Oh, I hate, I hate like pass interference. Out. You know, back in my day, if a receiver wasn't decked, it was blown coverage. <laughs> But anyway, folks. Anyway. I mean, let's talk about Andrew's predictions for the game. Let's, let's move into the, the present day, away from the era of Sammy Baugh and Dick Lane. and and but Well, Dick Lane, sure, but also Bobby Lane. And to the era of Titans of football, Justin Fields and Jared Goff. So, folks, this game is actually one of the hardest, probably the hardest game to predict this week, just because both teams are remarkably <sighs> bad this year so it's what's real what's really tough is that the bears still have their extremely talented defense um that that was never a question my questions arise on this putrid offense because your only receiving weapon really is Allen robinson who's still trapped in chicago and has never has probably never played with a good quarterback since high school I mean, really, mm-hmm. this guy has been absolutely screwed 
in at the quarterback position his entire career. Although part of that is on him because in free agency he chose to go to the Bears instead of the Packers. So well, I would choose not to go to the Packers because I hate the Packers. <clears throat> but, um, but also because you know, I mean, you know, the Packers suck. They're a bad team. They've been yeah. bailed out by Aaron Rodgers, which they got bailed out by Aaron Rodgers again. I know they always get bailed out. But, Good lord. But point is, Allen Robinson has terrible quarterbacks his entire career, both collegiate, uh, collegiate and professional. What did he go? Where did he go to college? Penn State. So I Bruh. think so I think he was dealing with like the tail end of Christian Hackenberg and uh Christian the goat Hackenberg <laughs> I think you mean but anyways that we're that's a tangent that's a tangent on Allen Robinson Allen Robinson yeah. is basically your only uh your only receiving weapon David Montgomery is your only other weapon in general Wait do they still have Tariq Cohen? No. Oh they they do have Tariq Cohen but they almost never use him. That's, Matt Nagy loved him though. I know, and they, I, I, I don't know if Cohen's hurt. I don't know if Cohen's hurt. I stopped watching the uh, Bears' offense because it's just been play, just been painful. You know, it's been, it, it, folks. It really has been that bad. Uh, but really, what's terrible at this offense in particular is a the lack of weapons. B this remarkably horrid offensive line. So you, what, what's really confusing is that. Uh, first of all, their first-round pick, Tevin, Tevin Jenkins, who was a very solid pick and a pick I really liked. Right, right. Uh, uh, he's been hurt, probably out for the year. And then they made this really mm. confusing cut of Bobby Massey and Charles Leno Jr., both of their starting tackles last year, who are both at least starting level, right? Like at least. Thanks for uh, Charles Leno Jr., by the way. He's on Washington now. I know. He's like... He's a, at least a starting caliber tackle, okay? Yeah. He's fine. But then you downgraded to 39-year-old Donald Penn and a billion-year-old <laughs> dinosaur Jason Peters already fossilizing before our very eyes. I feel bad. I love Jason Peters. I know. I like Jason He shouldn't Peters be playing too. anymore. I know. It's it's tough to watch. You So you have one of the worst tackle situations in the league paired with, you know, very mediocre to bad interior line play, mixed with Justin Fields' tendency, and this was a knock on him coming out of college. He held on to the ball way too long at Ohio State in the first place. So when you're when you're holding on to the ball that long, the, your tackles really need to pick up for you uh, and really need to pick up the slack. But what right. happens when your tackles are old and terrible and you basically get what happened to the bears last week it was disgusting against the browns and it was uniquely <laughs> bad against the browns too because miles garrett just ate all game long it was bad did you see that sack where fields basically got the ball and it was immediately running because it was like it was like they weren't even there yeah miles garrett just ran straight through him. it was it was ugly folks like I'll be patient. Uh, I'm still going to be patient with uh, with Justin Fields. Uh, now, a lot of people are saying, you know, already they're, he's a bust or something, or they're already extremely worried about him. Good Lord. Uh, overreactors. Classic overreacting. Uh, though I do really do believe that uh, Justin Fields should not be starting right now because when you start a rookie quarterback who already has these types of tendencies and you put him in a terrible situation like this, 
Sure. You have the you have a very high potential of ruining that quarterback straight out of the gate, which would be a crime because of how physically talent genuinely talented Justin Fields is. Yeah. Um but he's polished too. I feel like this is this was one thing that kind of went under under examined when he kind of fell out of fell out of favor in the draft media circus. Mm-hmm. But he was a pretty polished prospect. He wasn't like, you know, Justin Fe- oh, not Justin Fields, what's his name? Trey Lance. Excuse mm-hmm. me. I'm thinking he wasn't about- he wasn't extremely raw. That's he's not a project. I mean, he, he looks like a project because he's playing on a team with no offensive line and two weapons on offense, but he's not actually that bad. So, yeah, and that's pretty much my my reservations with, with the Bears. They're stuck with a terrible offense uh, with a quarterback that with a quarterback that is getting very, very screwed considering what his skill set is right now, along with an offensive uh-huh. play caller that I. Uh, Look, I've been a, I've been a major defender of Matt Nagy. You you know this, Harry. I've been I, I've, I'm not as much of a defender of Matt Nagy. I think he got he, his only good year he got carried by Vic Fangio. But yeah, yeah, continue. But yeah, like with with Matt Nagy, I've been very much a Matt Nagy apologist over these past, especially mm-hmm. two years. Honestly, dude, it's time. It's time to let him go because the way he called the game last week against the Browns, it looked like a terrible college offense with stuff. That did not work in the NFL. Just tons of read option, uh, rollout screens that just didn't work. He tried to, it was try, I, I can see what he was trying to do, but it was just so bland and vanilla and just not good. Oh, yeah. it was, um, it was. It was hard to watch. It's genuinely hard to watch. And once you take away the play calling, which is kind of what Matt Nagy was here to do in Chicago, what does he actually do? He doesn't really bring much else to the table because it's not its not like he's a good leader or anything, or he's not like he's an exceptional leader. It's not like he's an exceptional culture builder or anything. He doesn't do defense. Offense is his thing. He doesn't do defense. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that much is clear. So I'm very worried about the Bears. Um, now, in in terms of how they match up with the Lions, uh, the Lions are actually a very scrappy team this year. Um, mm-hmm. they, know, they've got grit and other things that teams that are bad but are coping say they have. They have really, really hard teeth, Harry, because they bite so many kneecaps. Okay, <laughs> Who'd have thought that the, the offseason program of... of... Biting kneecaps would pay off so much. <laughs> now they can lose by less. Like, did you know the peak of their season appeared to have been leading the Packers at halftime? <laughs> well, we're only three games in, Harry. So let's give them a, a little bit of a break. But I mean, uh, okay. Counterpoint: mm-hmm. They suck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that's my problem. That's my problem. The offense still has no weapons except uh, except uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, DeAndre Swift, who's an excellent running back, and a good offense, a, a emerging offensive line, which is encouraging, and mm. uh, Quintez Cephas at wide receiver, who's not bad, as well as T.J. Hawkinson, who's also talented but just hasn't put it all together at tight end. My problem here is that your quarterback is Jared Goff, who's okay, and your defense is still not good. So what are we getting here? We're getting a lot of he said, she said level type of matchups 
a lot of oh if this went like if this little itty bitty thing went right you know it goes to one team or the other you know how you know how when actual good teams play and it's really really close and you have to predict the matchup because it's so hard because it's they're so close right yeah when you when your both teams are so bad it actually loops around to being the exact same argument okay so i mean i'll say one thing right mm-hmm. i favor the bears because the bears have the potential to be good they still have defensive talent justin fields has the potential to do good you know i am leaning i am leaning bears as well this game uh just because i don't just because i don't think um i don't think the uh the lions defense is all that talented right now um as well mm-hmm. as uh, i think the bears offense will be able to rebound a little bit this week I, I still don't think they're gonna. It's, I don't think it's gonna be pretty. I think it's gonna be another seventeen fourteen level game. You know, I don't think either team scores more than twenty points. I don't see that happening. Um, right. But I think the Bears are gonna win just on the back of their really talented defense, and they can. Khalil Mack will have fifty billion sacks. <laughs> probably, actually, no, not this game because the because the Lions O line is actually decent. That's but, true. That's true. But I mean, okay. Question. Yes. Assuming the Bears win. Will the Bears defense have more points than the Bears offense? As in points allowed versus points scored or No, I mean, will they outscore? Will they outscore the... I'm genuinely asking you, do you think that the Bears defense will outscore (laughs) their offense? Because it is a serious possibility. This is a real question, folks, and it's a question the, the Chicago Bears have asked themselves for years. Decades, even. Um... Not, I'm gonna say it, Andrew. Not this. They're game. gonna do it. Not this game. They're gonna do it. Not I believe it. I it, believe they it. They would have to be playing the Jaguars or the Jets for that to happen. No, because you see, you have to have a unique combination, Andrew. Right? Yes. The offense has to be. Jared Goff has the potential to throw a bunch of picks. Right? Mm-hmm. He does, and then some of those can get returned for touchdowns. Not only that, and, folks, but remember that game when he was still on the Rams, like in 2018 or 19. Where they the Rams played the Bears, and Jared yeah, when Goff, Vic Fangio Goff, figured out the Rams, yeah, and and Vic Fangio just absolutely destroyed Jared Goff's confidence, which was really weird because Vic Fangio had an amazing game plan, but it was also remarkably simple. All he did was keep linebackers more at the line and force Jared Goff to beat them in coverage, and he couldn't, which seemed like a really simple idea. You know, because like Todd Gurley was having a, a borderline MVP season up to that point. So the fact that teams weren't stacking the box more before then says a lot about how the NFL doesn't necessarily have the best defensive coordinators. Because like that was not a, that was not this genius adjustment. You know what I mean? Credit to Vic Fangio for doing it and for managing his personnel so well. But it feels like it's kind of weird that no one thought of stacking the box more often and forcing Jared Goff to beat them. You know, I know. But uh, yeah, that that pretty much wraps up my thoughts on on this week's game, uh, Lions at Bears. I think it's it's slightly in favor of Chicago, so I would I would um I would I would bet that Chicago wins. But I also wouldn't put money on down da- money down on this game. Sure, because it could easily go the other way if Justin Fields looks terrible again. So I'm gonna say this right. Yeah, I believe that the Bears are going to win. And not only will the Bears win, but their defense will outscore their offense. I believe it. That's a hot take. 
I believe it. And if it happens, Andrew, I'm going to gloat about it because that would be unbelievable. I'm going to boast. Is it likely? That's not the point, though. The point is that it could happen. Don't worry about it. So it will happen. All right. Well, we've covered football, but now we're going to get to, I think, what is a little bit more of a local excitement, which is that the Mariners are kind of good right now, Andrew. The Mariners are too good right now. I don't know. It's I don't want to say anything, but they are half a game out of the wild card. They have won. So they have an off day today, Thursday. Mm-hmm. But last night they won. Excuse me. Last night they won on Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. And they so that's sweeping the A's. That is 12 straight wins against the A's. Which is which I, is hilarious. I mean, we single-handedly ended the A's season. That is how, in fact, I believe this last night's loss may have mathematically eliminated yep, them. Yep, they just got eliminated. Because that yep. that's 4.5 games back with four left to play. Or, well, three for them. So, yeah. Uh, poor for poor A's, poor A's. But with this, now, if I'm, if I'm remembering the standings correctly, the Yankees are one game up on the Red Sox. Correct. For the top, and those are the two wildcard teams. The Mariners are half a game back from the Red Sox. And the Blue Jays are another half a game back from the Mariners. So I'm looking at the standings. And everyone right. else has I'm, been mathematically eliminated, if I'm cor- correct. Correct. So I'm looking at the standings right now. And mm-hmm. like you said, Yankees are 90 and 68. They're a game up against Boston, who are in the second wildcard spot at the moment. Uh, Boston okay. is 89 and 69. And they mm-hmm. they hold the second wildcard spot. Mariners are, are 89 and 70. With a half game, oh. a half game back from Boston, yeah. and Toronto is eighty-eight and seventy with a full game back from Boston. So that sounds right. So, so, so let's address several. Uh, I guess you can't really call them elephants in the room, but rather important points. Number one, right? We are in a weird schedule because the Mariners are. They played their they played their series Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with an off day on Thursday. Now, usually this is not how it goes. Usually it's consecutive days. This off day and the fact that the other teams, both the Red Sox and the Blue and the Blue Jays and the Yankees, they all started their series on Tuesday. So tomorrow, or well, today rather, uh, there will be basically the the Jays and the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to play and the Mariners are going to stand pat which is going to be interesting because it means if the Yankees win, that knocks the Blue Jays out of serious running and does serious damage to them. If the Blue Jays win, then the Yankees could very well be only the, the Yankees could very well be now in the lowest wildcard spot and the Blue Jays would pat would tie the Mariners again. Mm-hmm. And if, and if the Red Sox lose again, I believe that would tie them with the Mariners. Yes, that would tie them with the Mariners. So all of this is going to happen without the Mariners. So it's going to be a day of scoreboard watching uh, for Mariners fans. But then it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Angels. Now, Andrew, several important things have happened since we last talked about the Mariners. And it changes the way this, this series works. So Joey Otani pitched really well against the Mariners, right? Mm-hmm. But they ended up losing because they're the Angels. So, you know, they voice talent. It's their thing. But he threw 110 pitches in a meaningless September game while his team was eliminated. Oh my questions, gosh. questions were raised about the wisdom of a decision like that. But the thing is, he's shut down now. 
we don't have to face Otani. Here's the thing about the Angels. Otani's kind of their only good pitcher. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So it kind of changes things that we don't have to face their ace and also only good starter. That's a big win for us. Is Trout still hurt? Yes, Trout is out for the season. Okay. And so is Rendon. And Otani will hit, but he won't pitch. So really, in their Stars and Scrubs lineup, they have like two stars remaining. (laughs) So, you know. But hey, uh, one thing that's interesting, though, and I think worth mentioning, is that from the Mariners' perspective, winning tonight was huge. Sweeping the Athletics was huge. Because at this point now, they've got 89 wins, you said, right? Yes. Yeah. If they win, all they need to do, essentially now here down the stretch, barring an incredible Blue Jays run, they just need to outplay the Red Sox to make the playoffs. So the Red Sox have four games left to play, one against the Orioles, three against the Nationals. The Mariners have three games left to play, all against the Angels. The If we can beat the Angels twice and the Red Sox drop two of their games, the Red Sox just go 500. We only need to win the series, right? Now, here's the thing, and it's worth mentioning, right? The Mariners cannot make the playoffs without a little help from the Red Sox or the Yankees, right? Mm-hmm. But that raises an interesting question. Andrew, so now with the Mariners in a bit of an interesting spot, who do you think is going to step up in the Angels series? Any any guy sticking in your head? Um, Any guys who I think are going to step up? Well, Toro, Toro's been kind of slumping recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just until, hit a home run last uh, night. Ex- exactly. So until Wednesday night, where uh, he finally hit a home run to kind of to kind of snap that. So I think Toro might bounce back in the most important series uh, of the year, really, or for the final key series, right? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of is Marco Gonzalez going to play in the series? Marco will be pitching. I can't remember if he's pitching Friday. I think he's pitching Friday, though he might be pitching Sunday. It's one of the two, though. Yeah, so Marco Gonzalez, I think, might might clutch it out. Mitch Haniger, obviously, might might heat up at, at the very last moment. But uh, as usual, my guy, you know, my 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 guy that I'm cheering for, Jared Kelnick. Came okay. through again last night. Came through again. Uh, he had a he had a really good double that scored two runs. So mm-hmm. that was really good from him. Uh, the young rookie. I think he's. Uh, I think he might. He might clutch it out. I think he's got this, yeah. Harry. Yeah, he's having a good September. So there's a lot to be excited about. Um, you know, I personally agree with you. I think Mitch Haniger has been white hot recently, uh, and there's a good chance that continues against bad Angels pitching. But I like your picks of Kalnick and Toro. Both are younger guys who have shown the capacity to hit. Toro snapping a slump. Kalnick hitting his stride. If I was going to add a name. I would say J.P. Crawford, because back in June, when J.P. Crawford was the best hitter in baseball for a month, a lot of those games were against the Angels. He destroyed the Angels pitching. So I don't think it would be that surprising to see him go on another tear against the Angels, who he has just hit well all year. I mean, J.P. Crawford's been scary in the past month. Truly. Yeah. Like, against um, against the A's alone, he's made such a massive impact as the leadoff hitter. It's really remarkable yeah i mean i think that's actually one thing that's really notable is that jp Crawford is kind of a divisive guy because a lot of his traditional metrics are quite good right uh he has a relatively high batting average he gets on base at least a little bit but 
a lot of people would say, right, his he doesn't get on base as much as you might want from a leadoff hitter. He doesn't necessarily slug as well as a lot of good hitters, to which I would say, but he's such a good defensive shortstop. It, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting because I think you're also seeing the value of a guy who is pretty fast, who does hit relatively well. That's all you need. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure J.P. Crawford is the forever leadoff hitter, but he's not. A, he's he's an, he's a good guy to have in the lineup. You know what I mean? He's a great guy to have in the field and a good hitter. And I think you're right that one of the things that has been so scary about JP is that he is along with Ty France and Mitch Hanniger, though, in a very kind of Mitch Hanniger asterisk here, and that he's one of the few reliable threats this lineup has had. Because if there's a knock on the Mariners, is that the lineup hasn't been consistent, right? A lot of guys have gone boom or bust. In fairness, Mitch has gone pretty boom or bust. He's just boomed so often this season, he may as well not be approaching it like that because he's just succeeded so much. But outside of uh, of JP and Ty France, pretty much everyone has been hot and cold, you know? So that consistency, I think you're right. He's been such a huge part of just getting on base and giving guys a chance to succeed and drive him in has been huge. Absolutely. And honestly, it's so weird that the Mariners are this close to the playoffs again. <laughs> it, it's something I didn't think was ever going to be a thing to be quite honest with you, because even though I wasn't a huge baseball fan for the past couple of years, I always knew that the Mariners kind of sucked. And to see to see the team this close, to me, is just an incredibly interesting story and it's something that I think people should really start to tune into. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. The the, the crowds have been growing throughout the uh, A's series. So, yeah. Andrew, you and I were at the game uh, on Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and it was fun. I mean, the crowd was not massive, but it was big, and people were into it. You know, it's, it was for a different a Tuesday atmosphere. night, right? Tuesday night, uh, you know, we went. What we went, we left at like five fifteen, so we were able to get some free parking. There you go. Free parking. Let's go. Free parking. Got some Dick's Burgers after the game. Good, good experience all around, but. The point was that there were a lot of people and, and people also kind of started to file in and people stayed with the game too, you know? Yeah, there wasn't as much, uh, well, maybe that uh, obviously because lack of a crowd, right? But yeah, uh, there there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of people sticking around for the game. Not a whole lot of, oh, well, I'm going to take the family home early at the seventh inning stretch. Uh, you know, I really yeah. got to avoid traffic, man. Yeah, the cheating traffic. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it was, but it was a very exciting environment and you know, one of those, those, one of those experiences that you don't see outside of playoff or playoff adjacent baseball is after the team wins, as people are walking out the stadium, there are spontaneous chants of like, let's go Mariners. That just doesn't happen outside of games that really matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And I will say one thing, which is that this is just such a great group of guys. They're really fun to watch. One of my favorite things to do is to go back in games I've seen and watch not the players, but the dugout. Cause they are just, they're a bunch of really fun young guys who really enjoy being along for the ride. Um, and a lot of good stuff there, but generally speaking, there's a lot to be excited about, you know, and the good news about this year is that even if they don't make it, they are ahead of schedule, you know, the rebuild, they were the not, rebuild is ahead of schedule. This was a team that was supposed to be doing this, next year which means that the pressure is on jerry and the front office to essentially figure out exactly how to spend money to get the team to you know not only to the playoffs but to compete for the division 
next year rather than just competing for the playoffs next year. So don't forget that the majority of the talent that Jerry stocked the farm system with has yet to come up. Julio, Noelvi, they haven't come up. Hancock, Kirby, they haven't come up, you know? Heck, you got even guys like Matt Brash, who's a pretty adjacent prospect who would, he'll probably break camp with the team next year. He hasn't come up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that's really worth being excited about is that the Mariners are winning with admittedly kind of a ragtag bunch in a lot of respects, but that's okay because there's also a lot of talent to come in and fill the crack, fill in the cracks in the future, you know? Yeah, I know. It's just a really exciting young group of, of Mariners that are yet to be. And I mean, I think we're going to see the fruits of that labor next year. And, but before we get there, I really want to see this, this team make it this year. Oh God, absolutely. It's on the 20th anniversary of the 2001 super team. That would be <laughs> poetic. I, it would be amazing. And I think one of the things that uh, I really, really liked was just, uh, I just think about it and like, I'm going to now, I've talked my family into it. We're going Friday, we're going Sunday. So it's going to be exciting. I'm going to be there where the Mariners playoff host will live or die, you know? So it's exciting. It's exciting stuff. Absolutely. It's the first time. And I think this is an important thing. Other Mariners playoff runs. This is the first time I would say since either 2016, but really 2014, that the, team, that the team was super in it. And in fact, if you actually look at the math, this is the closest the Mariners have been since well before 2014. Because in 2014, it was the last three games. They were three games out and the A's lost their first two and we won our first two, right? Mm -hmm. But then they won their last one. But this one, we're actually much closer. We're only half a game out entering the final three games of our season, which is far less, obviously, than three. So this is the closest the Mariners have been, arguably, since 03 02. Uh, if there's a chance for them to make it, it may be here. I'm curious, though, Andrew, if you could find it for me, uh, what the playoff odds are for the Mariners, because because the Mariners were projected to not be very good this year, the playoff odds have not been kind to the Mariners throughout. I think just today, the playoff odds were like 20% according to like 538 and 17% according to like fan grass. not the most generous considering how close we are. Uh, so I'm looking right now. Da, 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 da. Mariners have a 25% chance of making the playoffs. That is according to 538. Yeah. Okay. That's actually seems kind of, I seems kind of, that seems pretty similar. So a lateral day, admittedly, Wednesday was a bit of a lateral movement. We didn't really improve, but we didn't get worse. But it's exciting. So that that is what I think we should leave it off on, is that this is the first Mariners team in really since 2014 and the first Mariners team since like 2010 where it's a young group of guys who you feel like can get better, you know? Mm -hmm. So just a really, really exciting group that I'm looking forward to rooting for for years to come. And I'm especially looking forward to rooting them over uh, over this the, the rest of this week where they have a very good chance of making the playoffs by Mariners standards, obviously. It's not like a good chance, but it's a good chance by Mariners standards. I mean, the best chance by Mariners standards in almost two decades, so. Yeah, yeah. All righty. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bubby's Brunch Buddies. Hope you've enjoyed, gained a new perspective on the football game or the Mariners season, or at least gain some Bubby Brewster trivia. Thanks again for listening.
Have a great evening. We hope to catch you next time.